Welcome back to Body Talk with Bex. This week, I am interviewing Haley Daggett, licensed marriage and family therapist. And technically, this is the third time I'm interviewing her because we did this interview two weeks ago. And as I was editing the audio, I accidentally deleted it. And so we are re-recording the same interview for a second time. So... Welcome back, and let's just jump right on in with Haley. Okay, so... We have done this interview before. <laughs> Say welcome back, back. <laughs> so, welcome back for the third time. Third time. <laughs> so, we have done this before, and I edited the entire audio and then promptly deleted everything that I had done, no. including the original audio file, apparently. So, we're re recording this episode. <laughs> It was good. It was really good. And we'll do just as great of a job this time. I hope so. Yeah. (laughs) It was a really good episode. So, but yeah, so Haley Daggett is back and we're going to focus a lot on body image today. So I wanted to have this conversation with Haley because, I mean, I've been wanting to have the conversation in general anyways, but... After Blair's interview, mm-hmm. she brought up a lot of really great comments. One of Blair, one of my favorite comments from Blair during that episode was, if you've ever dealt with a chronic illness, the connection with your body is already adverse. The loving relationship with your body is difficult when you feel like it's been against you your whole life. Mm-hmm. I think this quote... Personally, I think it beautifully captures what it's like for those of us who have grown up with health issues and how we view our own bodies. In your experience as a therapist, have you found this to be true? And have you found self-body image issues harder to tackle in those with a lifelong health problem? Definitely. Before I fully go into answering that question, um, I want to preface it by just saying Blair's interview was incredible. I'm a super fan of her. I think that the work that she is doing is amazing. I hope she listens to this episode and gets all of the credit she deserves. I think what she's doing is so, so, so important being kind of in that absolute middle ground between psychology and health and dating and coaching. Like, I just think what she's doing is super cool and necessary. Then just kind of also to come back to that quote, I think that like the idea of loving your body, you know, I think we have to like even just touch on that first of all, because it's so important. I think once we talk about what loving your body means, but without that, I mean, we all grew up in this world where, especially for women, and I know it is true for men too, I'm going to focus on women for now. We're expected that our body has to look a certain standard. Thin means beautiful. Clear skin means beautiful. Luscious hair means beautiful. And so there's just, there's all these advertisings that are telling us what's beautiful. And then, sorry, just to even extend that even further, beautiful means worthy. And I think that's where a lot of us 
as we're being inundated with this information from when we can form memories, kind of one of two things happen. You buy into the message and you end up hating your body because our bodies are complex and it's not just kind of, it's not calories in, calories out or use this shampoo and it's that simple. It's a whole system that is really complex. And so when that's not working the way the commercials tell you it should work, you end up hating your body or you dissociate from your body. You just don't have a connection with it at all. Which is, I think, what most of us wind up doing. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And so then when this message of you should love your body comes in, we're like, what body? Like, what what do you mean? And we just kind of dissociate from the message entirely because honestly, what's probably most recently underneath that is hating your body. And one of my favorite authors, researchers, kind of pop psychologist, Emily Nagoski, she talks about like, when we were born, our bodies were celebrated. Every little chubby cheek and little roll on the thighs, they were celebrated and they were loved. And why did that have to stop at some point? And so when I talk to my clients about loving their body, it's a really fraught issue. And I think we've even gotten to a place where like, we're ashamed if we don't love our bodies, but we're also ashamed if we don't have a perfect body. And so I want to say like, even without a chronic illness, this is already a super fraught issue. And then I grew up with a, as far as I can tell, healthy, completely functioning body, very fortunate in that sense. So from personal experience, I can't speak to that, but through knowing you and through knowing some of my clients who have chronic illnesses, certain friends, it is even harder because now there's pain in the body and the body is even further complex in that depending on what you're dealing with, your body's not functioning in the way that you would want it to in even more ways. And so I do think it's a lot more complex when you're dealing with someone who is baked into our culture that already tries to control our bodies and make us feel ashamed of our bodies. But then also your body isn't working in the ways that I'm using big air quotes here is normal. Right. Yeah. And is painful often too. And so even more reason to dissociate from your body. And if you do associate with it, probably really don't like it. Yeah. 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 So I'm just going to move into the next set of questions before getting into the more complicated Mm -hmm. of things. Mm -hmm. This is more of the basic questions. Sure. So do you have any suggestions on how a parent could talk with their kid? Um, Let's say if their kid has something. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that we talked in the first episode about shame. And if you haven't done your shame work as a parent, you can often unintentionally or even kind of in a loving way, what you think is a loving way, intentionally project shame onto your children for their certain conditions if you haven't done your own shame work and dug into for yourself what it means to love your body and what it means to accept a whole range of what is normal in a body. But to that doing that first as a parent, I think, is the most important because your kid's going to come to you with a lot of questions about why isn't my body doing this? Why isn't it doing that? Why is it acting this way? And if you clench up and get anxious, what you're communicating, even if like there's this kind of like, and it'll probably come out in like a high pitched like, oh, 
okay? You know, like, the, your kid picks up on that and goes, your, your words say it's okay, but everything else about you says, yeah, this isn't okay. And so that's, I think, covering for yourself and understanding for yourself really fully how you want your kid to believe what you want your kid to believe about their body whether it's healthy or not you have to come in with like that knowledge for yourself and I think from there there's actually a really cool opportunity to talk to your kids about healthy friendships from this perspective I'm gonna pull on Brene Brown she is another author researcher kind of pop psychologist she has a ton of amazing TED talks I love all of her work She talks to her kids about this term candle snuffer outers. I think she might also call them candle putter outers. I'm not entirely sure. But she used it for her kids when they were experiencing bullying. And I'm not sure exactly the context, whether it was they were experiencing bullying themselves or they were watching kids get bullied and they were confused about that. And so Brene Brown says, you know, To her kids, friends are people who celebrate you, who lift you up, who want to see you accomplish things and care about you and hug you and sit with you when things aren't going well. Other people who don't want you to achieve things or laugh when you're hurting or any of those other upsetting behaviors, those are candle snuffer outers. And your candle deserves to burn bright. And so you wanna be with people who help light your flame and celebrate your flame. And you don't wanna be with people who snuff out your flame. And so I think that parents can pull on that to talk to their kids about you know, if their peers are talking to them a certain way that's putting them down or bullying them to kind of be like, well, you've got this unique opportunity in the world to be able to spot candle snuffer outers. And that's kind of a superpower. So we're going to, on one hand, through your own shame work as a parent, be able to talk to your kid about what is challenging about their body. I would advise using challenging rather than normal or abnormal. And you wanna be able to give them a developmentally appropriate amount of information about that. But what they're probably most concerned about is fitting in with their peers. And so I think that candle snuffer outer term could work really well for kids. Yeah, I think so too. And I think last time we mentioned also that it's a good idea to not come to your kids about it Yes. You know, and let them come to you when they have questions about their body, because if they're not having, you know, self-conscious thoughts, you don't want to put those thoughts in their head. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Like you don't want to. I'm going to pull on an example from you, if that's Mm -hmm. okay. And I know because in one of the episodes with your mom, you talked about the Winnie the Pooh watch and how it would go off at certain times. And then uh, the teachers knew that you needed to go just at least try to go to the bathroom. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so if your mom were to say like, now, are you worried about kids making fun of your watch? You might have been like, no, this is a cool Winnie the Pooh watch. Like, what do you mean, mom? But now that's in your head because your mom is who you're learning about the world from primarily. And so, okay, mom's worried about that. And she's kind of my biggest model. So I guess I should be worried about that. So to that point, yeah, that is absolutely like spot on. I think you want to, and this might even roll into the adolescent question. I'll go more into it after Mm -hmm. you ask it, but make sure the door is open. Make sure that they know that 
that they can come to you. So you want to set that out there that if you ever want to talk about this, you can, but let them come to you and identify where their securities and insecurities are and follow that map with them. Yeah. And we can just roll right into yeah. that question because it's basically the same, but because you know, all through those child years, puberty and all of that, you know, we're kids' mindsets are changing and, you know, their thought processes are changing and that's when we're growing so much. Mm -hmm. So I feel like you really do have to talk to kids and teenagers differently. Yeah. And so we've just finished talking about kids. So what would you advise a parent when they're talking to their teenagers about it? Yeah. I would stick with kind of the same two categories that I said earlier. Do your shame work. Know how you what you believe about your kid's condition and that make sure that that place is that that belief is coming from a place of love and celebration of your child and of all children right like that there's just a total inclusion that you're able to come from and then graduate the term of the candle snuffer outers maybe that like if you started with that as a kid you can continue on with that but maybe this is a condition that did set in in adolescence and maybe your kid thinks that candle snuffer outers is a lame term um <laughs> i don't know i remember being a teenager yeah. And thinking that just about <laughs> anything my mom said was lame. So <laughs> go with what you will. I, I do think candle snuffer outers is a nice term, but maybe you want to just kind of graduate some of the vocabulary to using the term perhaps bullying because probably schools are using the terms bullying at this yeah. point. And maybe they have a more kind of sophisticated idea of what a friend is. And so go with kind of the language that they're using at that time. But I think at that point... Not pushing anything on your kid to talk about is so, so, so important in adolescence. Making sure that your kid knows that they can come to you, but if they come home from school and they're salty about something or they're sulking about something, I'd say kind of give it once. Do you want to talk about that? And if they say no, okay, let them know that you're here. Hopefully you've built this consistency up over time, but let them come to you. I think... This goes beyond the scope of what we're talking about, but I do think it's so important to speak to is that in adolescence, boundaries are so, so, so important. Your child is now beginning to develop their own identity in the world, and that's what they're supposed, that's the task of adolescence. That's what they're supposed to be doing. And so trying to push back on their boundaries that they're setting and this is within reason. They're not setting a boundary to say, I don't care about your curfew, mom and dad. I'm just going to stay out whenever I want to. Right. This is, I'd rather be left alone in my room. Okay. Like, we've got a closed door policy in the house. As long as I know that you're in there, you stay in there as long as you want. I'm probably going to check on you around dinner time. But letting them have their boundaries and try to sort stuff out. And if you've set that stage well of them knowing that they can come to you, they will when they're ready. Yeah. And I think also, I know last time yeah. we talked about it, was, yeah, our mom would, with my brother and me, whenever, you know, this is when we were teenagers, preteens, whatever, and we would be having a bad day, have something going on in our personal lives, and, like, hadn't really talked about it yet with anyone. And she would just take us for a walk. We'd go for a walk along West Cliff, and she wouldn't force us to talk about anything. It would just be kind of like a, 
mm-hmm. we're going to walk and you can either think about things and not say anything at all and it's just yeah. hanging out with mom or if you feel like talking about anything we can talk about it and it's not going to go anywhere else it stays with me on this oh, walk yeah that's i like get shivers up my spine <laughs> hearing that example like that's just so so loving and respectful and i just can imagine putting myself in your shoes at that age and that meaning so much you know, yeah. whether or not at the time you <laughs> yeah. appreciated it, right? These are things that we look back on and go, yeah. That, that was a was, good move, Mom. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. I definitely do think uh, in the moment it wasn't as noticeable for us as yeah. kids to be like, mm-hmm. that's yeah. a good idea. But yeah. 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 We don't have all the hardware in, yeah. in the brain quite yet to be able to make <laughs> complex connections. And so, yeah, like, you know, there's complex emotions when it comes to parents as an adolescent. We still need them, but we also are feeling that task of independence. And it's yeah. it's a difficult war. I uh, empathize with the adolescents in that position and I empathize with the parents. There's no one right way to do it. There are just guidelines. And so this is just one of them that applies specifically to this issue. Boundaries, developmentally appropriate language, and um, gosh, what was the first thing that I said? Knowing that they can come to you. Yeah. And and having your your definition of what you believe about your kid's condition, having that already figured out, already kind of entrenched in you so that any of your shame doesn't bleed into what you're talking to your kid about. And I think this example was good because it sets or it's an example of the boundaries and Mm -hmm. it's it's not like she would force us to go on a walk she would always ask it like do you want to go for a walk with me yeah as and so it's framed in a very open-ended like if there's something that you want to talk about we Mm -hmm. can you Mm -hmm. don't have to come with me but Mm -hmm. because she'd obviously been that way our entire upbringing we had that open relationship of yeah we can talk about things yeah that we would be like yeah let's go for the walk and then she would wait for us to make the first move and so it was just all of those little boundary checkpoints yeah i think that worked. I just thought of just kind of something else that I want to squeeze into this conversation of the fact that your condition did begin in infancy. And so it was a part of your childhood with your mom. You know, I talked about how having a condition in childhood can kind of be a superpower for spotting candle snuffer outers and spotting super friends. Like it's a superpower for becoming close and secure with your parent because you guys had to have those conversations early on. And your mom got an opportunity to show up for you in that secure way. And so, I mean, like I said, I know maybe the head goes to this place of like, oh no, my kid is going to miss out on all these opportunities. But I mean, look at all the opportunities that they get because of it. Right. Yeah. And that's a good, good thing to point out too. Yeah. Is that they're they're getting different opportunities. Yeah. They're not losing out on other ones yeah. because of it. I think a lot of parents do focus just on the negative. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, you have become like <laughs> like a damn good person. Like you are incredibly empathic and gracious and sensitive. I like listen to these podcast episodes and I hear it in the way that like you host your guests. It's why we became such good friends. Like there was just immediately I was like, I can dump my shit on Becky. (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) And like, it's just, it just shows that like as a whole person, this 
your experience was a part of you becoming a whole person. And it's had, I just think, a really beautiful impact on the human that you are. Yeah, I mean, I think back to that first episode with my mom and I asked her, um, you know, do you wish I'd ever been born without anything? And Mm -hmm. her, her answer is like, Yes, because I don't wish you had to go through anything. Yeah. But honestly, it's what shaped yeah. everything. So yeah. not really. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But I agree yeah. with her on that. So. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like, of course, we don't want our kids to suffer. But this also does give an opportunity to like become can... a really well-rounded person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can push your strengths, too. Yes, exactly. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. That's the perfect way to put it. Yeah. So... Let's move on okay. a little bit. How would you work with mm-hmm. an adult who's never done any self-image work before? As a therapist, I believe that we all have this unconditional love within ourselves for ourselves and experiences and adversity and trauma forces us to adapt and learn different ways to protect ourselves from that kind of really beautiful holistic place inside from being damaged or taken advantage of. And there's fears of vulnerability. And so sometimes when we get to an adult, right, especially with all this barrage of advertising and what your body ought to look like and how it, yeah, just how it ought to look, you know, (laughs) that love can get buried. And so where I start with these clients is I also use like body sensations. I'm a very, as a therapist, I'm very like kind of somatically focused. So how do your feelings show up in your body? And then I'm like feelings language focused. And then I pull on a lot of science to inform all of that. Um, And I'll come into the science portion later. I start usually with what people can feel most readily, which is where do you feel the judgment in your body? And for a lot of people, this will be like, I can feel it in my gut. Like it feels like I am nauseous. It feels like my uh, stomach is sinking. It feels like this hardening and tightening around my heart, which I think is cool because like that also like indicates that there's something in the middle there, which is unconditional love but like they can feel it kind of in this chest cavity and like the exterior of it I had one client and I'll pull on her example throughout this that described that she could feel it in her limbs Um, the judgment was in her limbs and then so we spend a little bit of time with that with like interviewing it so to speak of like you know what is it that this judgment is trying to do for us right which is a funny question because we often like hate it and so to like kind of turn it and be like how is this judgment trying to serve me actually kind of softens the war inside and so you begin to for yourself learn a little bit about like how this judgment came to be why it's so harsh how it would rather show up for you and as I'm asking those questions then I'm also because we're opening up space we're softening the judgment then I'm also looking in and going where do you feel the unconditional love for yourself inside? And I'll dip into now a little bit about what's so hard about if you've had health conditions growing up is that locating that can be even harder because there's another layer there of a reason why you don't like being in your body and you don't like your body. Everyone that I've ever worked with, though, is able to discover it and feel it. It kind of just maybe shows up as a glimmer first of like, they'll be like, it's like this candle that's almost snuffed out, but it's in my heart and it's glowing just a little bit. It's a powerful experience the first time that you feel that. Even if it's just a little bit, we create just a minute around that of like, wow, 
what's that like to see that, right? And the more that you spend time with it, you actually start nurturing and feeding the flame and the feeling grows. And so then I do that phase until I can tell that that part of you has like some legs to stand on and is sturdy and can begin then I kind of have a dialogue between the parts of you where you feel it in your body, the judgment, and the parts of you that has unconditional love. And almost always they have a common agenda. They just want to protect you and they just want the best for you. And there's a lot of back and forth dialogue that I do and I touch in on how the body sensations, what's happening in the body as we're doing this dialogue. The one client that I said that she could feel the judgment in her limbs when we first touched into the heart, she kind of described it like um, those kaleidoscope balls that shrink and can grow and she said the more threatened she felt like she could feel it shrink but like Mm. it was cool because within that definition she also knew it could grow and then like when we started working with dialoguing the two parts she would say she'd get tension in her hips like she could feel like where the joint and like the the middle part of the body meet like there was tension between the two and you know we work very respectfully very slowly with that and as we continued on her work she could just feel the judgment moving further and further and further into to like the extremities until like she's able to get this whole body feeling of loving her body and that is when we do like the most loving and best things with our bodies because we you know often think we need the judgment as a way to protect ourselves and that's what we find out in that first phase but in reality when we come from a self-compassionate and loving place that's when we end up making like the best decisions for ourselves and for our bodies because it's coming from a place of worth I deserve this. I'm not hustling. I'm not going to get evaluated. I'm not going to fail. This is just from a place of I deserve this. I love this. And I want this for myself. And so pulling in once again, what you're really asking about, which is when there's health conditions, what I'm really working with is kind of then two beliefs as we're working with the judgment versus typically two different sets of beliefs and they each take on like their own kind of, if you can imagine like a flow chart of like little branches that flow down from them that get more and more specific, but two different sets of belief. The first one is the one that I've already talked about, which is my body needs to look a certain way in order for me to be worthy. The second set of beliefs when it comes to health conditions tends to be along the lines from my experience of my body has betrayed me. It's not safe in my body. My body will never work the way it's supposed to. And so what's more complicated about that as a therapist and I think as a person in that body is as we're sorting through the judgment and we're evolving it and integrating it, you have to know which internal working model, so to speak, you're working with. Am I working with the beauty is worthy version or am I working with the functioning has betrayed me? There's also a worthlessness. I think that's a part of that one, but you have to know which one you're working with. And then there's one step even more complex. If you can, guys can all hang in here with me for the science round. <laughs> we have a connection between our head, our brain, right? Our heart and our gut. And it's all connected through what is called the vagus nerve. And that controls our parasympathetic nervous system. And that's our rest and digest. So that is how we calm ourselves down. That is how we feel secure and safe. That's the nervous system that controls that. The vagus nerve and the parasympathetic nervous system. We also have the autotomic nervous system, which is our fight and flight response. So that's your amygdala. That is your heart rate increasing. That is feeling cortisol and adrenaline in your gut. And so as that system gets running, 
which it will if you have a chronic health condition and maybe just even starts with like something like an upset stomach, there are nine to one receptors from our gut to our head. So when something's happening in the gut, there's a much more powerful message that then gets communicated up to the head that has more influence than the head has down to the gut. So you have an upset stomach, those messages go up up to the amygdala and the amygdala starts worrying. It starts thinking, oh no, I'm having a flare up of some sort. Something is wrong. You start thinking something is wrong. Those receptors go back down. More cortisol is released in the gut. And that just keeps reinforcing itself. Little infinity loop of unhappiness there. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And so thankfully, we also have what's called the vagus nerve that also connects from our brain, our heart, and our gut. And this is, like I said, the rest and digest. This controls feeling calm. It also, which I think like is what makes this more complex, it also controls like our immune responses. So if the autotomic nervous system is overregulated and it's wreaking that infinity loop havoc, then it's damaging the vagus nerve. And so when your vagus nerve is damaged, it can have an impact on your digestion. So we're seeing like IBS. It can have an impact on your um, immune system. So we start seeing autoimmune disorders. And so that's where kind of that mind-body connection can get so complex that then we want to numb and dissociate from our body. The good thing about the vagus nerve is going to come back to those nine to one receptors in the gut is that there's a superpower there. It sounds so simple, like you've heard it a million times, but deep belly breathing where you're inhaling through your nose and sending the breath all the way down to your gut and like inflating your belly and then a slow, if it can be double length exhale throughout the mouth. So I do like a four to eight, inhale for four through my nose, exhale for eight through my mouth, nice and slow. That signals to that nervous system through the vagus nerve, I'm calm, everything is fine. I'm not actually in fight or flight. And so what I'm trying to capture here is that if you know this about your body, you've got a superpower, a way to calm that infinity loop down. And if you don't know this, which most people don't, that's another reason why it's so fraught. And sometimes where I even have to start as a therapist, if the vagus nerve through PTSD, through its own dysregulation has been damaged, I have to start with just even just kind of deep breathing and grounding work so that we can begin the next phase of work. Because if we just jump right in to interviewing the judgment, your body's going to clamp up. It's going to get dysregulated. You're going to panic. You're going to shut down. I'm not here to re-traumatize anyone. So if I can tell that, you know, there's just been so much that your vagus nerve has already been through. I start with being a cliche therapist and everyone thinks that like, here we go again with breath work. But if you hang in there with me and just trust it, it does work. This was a really long answer. That's okay. What makes sense? What doesn't make sense? What did I, did I not answer? I think you kind of answered everything in that one go. Woo! I know. (laughs) I know. See, I think last time we recorded this... We had to loop back, but I think you yep. I think you nailed it this time. Yeah, the, yeah. the blessing of having to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> Get a second shot at it all. Definitely. So moving right along then. Okay. So how would you work with someone or what would you say to someone who is dealing with actual physical ailments like mm-hmm. they have a scar or they have discoloration or disfiguration maybe yeah. I think the last time we talked about if someone has like burn marks yeah. um, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. kind of thing mm-hmm. 
And then my example is when I was, I can't remember if I was 13 or 14, but I went to a beach party and I wore a bikini for the first time since having my big major surgery. Yeah, which, the one you're talking about with your mom right now. Yeah, yeah. so it was after that surgery. Mm-hmm. It So two years later, because I had only been allowed to wear one-piece bathing suits mm-hmm. because of the scar. Oh, the, okay. the sun damage could have made the scar yeah. not go away okay. or at least not fade. Sure. And so I wasn't allowed to have sun hit it for like two years. So I finally was allowed to wear a bikini and I was so excited about it. But at the same time, so flippin' scared because no one's really seen my scar. And it was, I mean, it's like half my torso. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, I said it the first time and I'll say it again because I feel it again. (laughs) Like, it's so, like, I just want to hug little 13, 14-year-old because it's so vulnerable. Like, I remember wearing a bikini for the first time and, like, all the anxiety that I had about that. And then imagining that there is also a scar there. And so... This anchors me back in the candle snuffer outer superpower. You have this thing that you're going to know almost immediately who are the people that also have their own superpower, empathy, compassion, consideration, kindness. You're going to see it. And who are the people that are judgmental? And for whatever reason, wherever that comes from for them, we don't need in our lives. They're candle snuffer outers. And so I think a really big part of this, again, as I come back to parenting and your parent being like this secure base for you to be able to talk about everything that you're afraid of about this so you can process those feelings with them. And then, right, so like that looks a lot like I'll go into, I guess, a little bit of not telling your child what they should be concerned about, not asking, letting them come to you and tell you, validating their feelings, acknowledging them, and staying with them, breathing with them, offering them a compassionate perspective, a reframe, something that's more along the lines of like that wholehearted loving for your body. And then maybe ending with that conclusion of like, you know what, this is also kind of your superpower, this scar, this burn mark, this missing limb. You can look at other people and immediately know, are they a candle snuffer outer? Are they best friend material? Yeah, I like that a lot. Even the second time hearing that, I really like that a lot because it... A, it validates their feelings. You're not brushing it off. You're not telling them to suck it up or like you're focusing on the wrong thing. Yep. You're saying it's okay to not be okay. Yes. First of all. Yes. But I'm not going to leave you hanging not feeling okay. Yeah. But, you know, that shouldn't hold you back Mm -hmm. from going and having fun at like that beach party. You're saying it's okay to be nervous, but you shouldn't let that nervousness stop you from going and doing it. Yeah. And then you're also reframing it and making it so that the scar or whatever is the issue that's visible is not the main point that you're putting in the kid's brain. You know, you're reframing it and saying, let's focus on how other people are reacting to it. Yeah. And if they're being overdramatic or whatever, you know, maybe they're not the people you want to hang out with. Yeah. Yeah. You found that out without having to be friends with them for six months and then they burned you on something. Like, that's kind of cool. Yeah. So, yeah, I really like that. You're validating, giving space, not letting it hold you back and then reframing. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Our feelings, when we try to ignore them, so we invalidate them or we dismiss them. I know it's coming from a loving place. You just want to rescue your kid. I feel it as a therapist. I want to rescue my clients. But I often say that feelings are like toddlers. When we ignore them, they get louder. You know, another way of saying it is what we resist persists. So you're just going to get at war with your kid if you tell them, oh, you don't need to be worried about that. It's no big deal. The wave in the ocean description you did last time. Ooh, remember um, that? I talk about a wave in the ocean. It was with ocean. the emotions. Okay, so yes, feelings are like a wave in the ocean. Um, I'm going to explain it the way that it's coming to me right now. And if it's different than how I said it last time, because I use this metaphor a totally lot. Fine. Um, try to pull me back. So a feeling is like a wave in an ocean and you are the entire ocean. So you are built of complexities, of calmness, of storms, of fish swimming in you, (laughs) whatever, however you want to use this metaphor, but I'm going to focus on the wave, the emotion. When emotions present, they kind of start out mild, they hit a peak, and then the wave always comes back down and washes upon shore. And so whether it's a parent and you're using this metaphor to help anchor yourself with your child who's hitting the peak of the freak out, like knowing like, okay, our bodies are meant to have an emotion that rises and it hits a peak and then it comes back down. We are built in when given a sturdy base to have that natural pendulation um, of feelings becoming intense and then our body regulating itself. And so whether you're by yourself thinking about an emotion this way or you're a parent ushering your kid through processing emotion, think of the feeling as a wave and your child is the entire ocean. So this is a moment in time where a natural valid feeling is peaking and it's going to pass and then we're going to return to the calm whole picture of the ocean. And I think allowing or validating your kids' emotions is a huge key part in that because you're teaching them not to stifle those emotions. It's so much healthier for us to ride them out and feel it all the way through. And so I think that enforces at a younger age Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that it's okay. Yep. Here comes the wave. I'm validating it. I see it. I'm with you. I'm holding you with compassion. And now what am I going to do with that emotion? I'm going to start to help you. As I can tell, your body is breathing and your ears are back open. I'm going to offer a different way to think about this. And it's going to help the emotion process through. Yep. So I think that metaphor ties in very, very well with that that. specific... So do you think there is an advantage to starting all of this kind of work or discussion at an earlier age versus as an adult, you're already nodding yes? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Let's come back to how I talked about I work with body image judgment and then also like um, just having a fraught relationship with your body when it comes to like chronic illnesses and a bigger picture too. I talk about the judgment first because I have to disarm that first, but then I talk about that candle inside of the unconditional love that might just be a flicker. If you start these discussions early, you are allowing that flame inside, which is, I think, also probably why Brene Brown calls them candle snuffer outers. <laughs> you are, as a parent, celebrating that flame and you're allowing it to grow and you are helping your kid, I guess, garden in a sense of clearing away the judgments and the things that could be snuffing out that candle that's not necessarily coming from a friend or a person in particular. It's coming from society as a whole. You are fueling the flame 
shame, the unconditional love inside, and you are helping to clear out any of the judgment that might snuff that candle out. And so it's not at all a lost cause if you've gone through your life with a lot of candle snuffing there's your candle cannot be put out like I can't stress that enough like it is there I understand that you don't think it is right now perhaps but one of my favorite quotes about therapy is that it's not a fixing of the broken it's a rediscovering of the unbroken Hmm. yeah and so that that candle, that flame, it's there. So it's not a lost cause if you haven't had these discussions from a young age. But if you're listening to this as like a parent of a young child or considering having your own kids, there's a huge benefit of beginning these discussions early for sure. Yeah. And I've I've had a lot of parents of kids who have been born with things reaching out recently Mm -hmm. on social media and just kind of asking a lot of questions about what it's like now because they want the assurity that their kids are going to be okay. Yeah. And um, so I do think it's important just to put it out there that like they're going to be fine. Yes. Totally. Just start the discussion earlier rather Mm -hmm. than later. Mm -hmm. They're going to be more than fine. Look at how you became. Like, I talked about that halfway through the episode. Your kid's going to be more than fine. Yeah. They'll be fine. They'll be able to do all the things they want to do. Or they'll find new things that they want to do if they're physically unable. I mean, there are things... Mm-hmm. You're, yeah. You were like a dancer as a child, and when you were recovering from your surgery, you were put in a sewing class. But, like, I know that you love sewing now, and, like, that's something cool. I wish I had been put in a sewing class. I was also a dancer, so, you know, I had the lovely opportunity to keep dancing, and that wasn't interrupted as a child. But I think it'd also be pretty cool if I knew how to sew. And I just, yeah, like, there's other opportunities that we can mourn that we can't do anymore or that we can't do for a temporary amount of time but there's so many other things that yeah you can do and I had one mom reach out um she has a little girl that was just born who has bladder extrophy so that's what Mm -hmm. I have and she reached out and I mean that's a whole urinary tract Mm -hmm. thing it's Mm -hmm. not just isolated to the bladder like it affects the whole system yeah and um and I know it's worse for the guys Mm-hmm. I know that. Obviously, have not experienced that, but <laughs> I know that's a thing. Um, and one of her main questions was asking about personal life questions, like you know, are you able to even have the sex and all mm-hmm. those types of things? Mm-hmm. And are you in a relationship? And like, yeah. how is that? Were you yeah. able to find a partner who's caring and understanding and all that? And I think it's important to acknowledge that. You will find someone. Yes. Your kids will find someone who is understanding. There are people out there mm-hmm. that will yes, be empathetic yes. and yes. <laughs> understanding. As scary as the world sometimes seems, there are still so many, like, just beautiful souls out there and loving people. And, I mean, I jumped yeah. a little bit ahead here, but you found that person. I did. And, I mean, I've... I can say I have found two people like that because mm-hmm. my I did stay with one person a lot longer um, because I thought he would be the only person that would ever be able to yeah. be okay and understanding about all yeah. of my medical things going on. And so I did stay with him a lot 
longer because of that. Totally understand. And that was even one of the main reasons why when I talked with my mom, how I was feeling, you know, before the breakup, because I had been wanting to for a while. That was one of her main concerns was like, but he's so okay with like Mm -hmm. everything that's going on. Mm -hmm. Like he takes you to the doctor, like he handles everything. Yeah. But that's not a reason to stay with someone. There are other people that are out there. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Always. Yeah. Yeah. Just because you don't see it right now does not mean it doesn't exist. Yeah. Totally get the concern as a parent, and I totally get the concern as the human who lived it. And yeah, like there's just, there's so much more out there. It's going to be okay. Yeah. So don't ever let the worry of those types of things hold you back. Yeah. Yeah. Let yourself be sad about them. Ride the wave. Yeah. And right the wave okay. and wave goodbye. Yes, yes. <laughs> and wave goodbye to it. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that was everything. I think we nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for coming back on for a second time. I'll be back anytime. <laughs> Fourth time. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Body Talk with Bex, and thanks to Haley Daggett for coming back, not a second time, but actually a third time for this episode. I hope all of this was informative and helpful in some way. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Um, To help me keep this podcast going, please consider becoming a patron on patreon.com. I recently added a few new extras on there, so go check it out. And even if you don't want to become a patron, but you want to help out in some way, I also have brand new stickers um, on our website. So go check those out. That way you can wrap the podcast and give back without committing to a monthly payment. And if you're interested in sharing your story or know someone who is, please feel free to reach out to me either on my website, www.bodytalkwithbex.com, or you can find me on social media at bodytalkwithbex.com. 